0: What is going on, all my bourbon and boxing fans? Man, welcome back to another special episode of Bourbon and Boxing. I am your host, Jeff. Man, this is episode 11. We're going to call this the battle in the great white north as we will break down tonight live for you the better be vez versus smith fight uh and i'm currently watching the undercard on that as we speak we'll also go over our bourbon review for the week i'll drop that for you guys which this week it's going to be heaven hill uh one heck of a bourbon we'll break that down for you and we're on today's episode man uh i want to jump right into my new segment that way, you know, because like I said, I am in the middle of the fights live. Got a bourbon sitting here, sipping, watching, getting ready to watch Kristen McBill uh, and his fight. And then, uh, like I said, I want to break down this segment really fast for you on the bourbon of the week. Uh, because it is a pretty historic bourbon, guys. This bourbon has a lot of history behind it, man. That's, I mean, starting in 1934, man, uh, this bourbon did. Uh, I'll get into the background of it, the backstory. It's been through adversity. Uh, it's had its hard times. it's came through in 1996, what was known as the Flaming Whiskey Fires uh, down there in Kentucky when the big storms hit. We'll get into that and much more. But let's go ahead and introduce our bourbon review of the week. Bourbon of the Week is going to be Heaven Hill. Classification, straight bourbon. Uh, company Heaven Hill Distillery Heaven Hill release date was twenty nineteen. It's a hundred proof, <clears throat> age seven years. Uh, the mash bill: seventy eight percent corn, twelve percent malted barley, ten percent rye. Color is about medium amber. The price range is about fifty dollars. Forty nine ninety nine is what I got it for at the local Kroger by my house. Not a bad price on it, guys. But like I said, this bourbon has a, a lot of history, guys. And it's just amazing what how they started and everything. So let's get into the backstory uh for you so I don't spend too much time on this as we are watching these fights live as I speak to you. Uh in nineteen thirty four the Shapiro family, uh who was basically they were department store retailers, uh they were approached by a couple of investors to start up a money uh, for startup money to help, which was seventeen thousand, what they were asked for to match to uh, build a distillery, and then you know they agreed upon that, and then that's where Heaven Hill Distillery was built. That's where the uh, brand was then born. Born in nineteen thirty-four, the I Bill. Of course, we know whiskey takes a while, so nothing happened overnight. <clears throat> December thirteenth, nineteen thirty-five, was the first barrel was filled. Four years later, after. Properly aged, the first bottle was released. Old Heaven Hill bottle and a bound bourbon. Uh in nineteen thirty seven the Shapirs bought out the investors for twenty thousand dollars because you as you know the story behind that is is that they had the money to set back on owning retail stores. The investors didn't have the money to set back on. Of course it takes bourbon a couple years to age. So, you know, you have to have the money and be ready for the venture into bourbon. So the superiors were ready, the investors were not. So they approached them and said, Hey man, for $20,000, we'll let you buy out the rest of the business. And that's when the superiors decided, okay, we're going into this full-time, uh, you know, and they were going to be full-time bourbon people. They were going to take this seriously uh, as a as you know, the president now says, uh, you know, of course the bottle was released and in 1937 Shapiro's bought out uh bought out the investors. For uh twenty-nine years, Earl Beam was a master distillery for Heaven Hill. Now this guy, of course, they they went to the Beam family to have the uh Beam family come in and help them with their whiskey to distill it to be the master distillers of it. Uh to this day, if I'm correct, the Beam family still has uh still are the master distillers of Heaven Hill. I know when Earl Beam passed away, or not passed away, when he retired, he passed it down to his son, who took over as a master distillery then. But then as that went on, you know, bringing in the Beam family made them the number one seller Berman in Kentucky for years and years and years after that, you know, and years to go. And then in 1996, the company faced adversity. With what we talked about was the flaming whiskey fires. The winds set fire to the whiskey, which they said was on fire, flaming coming down the hills, taking out a lot of their uh cabins there and their uh storage facilities, which ended up costing them $30 million, guys. $30 million in damage between lost whiskey and the facilities that they had lost. So they lost 15% of their storage overall. Which for any other business, man, that's going to put you under, take you out. 92,000 barrels of whiskey loss is never something that you want to have happen to your company. But they, you know, they kept on. They didn't uh, release a single employee. They kept every employee on. They had help from other distilleries uh, who came forth and said, hey, we'll help you uh, get your bourbon back out there and continue to, you know, uh, make your bourbon through our companies, which they allowed them to do. And then in 99, Heaven Hill bought a distillery in Burman, Burnham Burnahum, with triple the capacity as Bardstown. Now, that allowed them to not only go back to making their own bourbon uh, themselves, not having to depend on other people, but now they had triple the capacity to really just pump out what is still known as the number one bourbon in Kentucky. Like I said, man, just rich with history. Uh <clears throat> And then they just continued to grow, even after that adversity in 96, buying the distillery in 99, and then growing in 2007, where they yielded 200,000 barrels annually. 2017 added three, three more fermenta- uh, fermentation uh, tanks, along with a third ship production, and then rose up to 300,000 barrels. Uh, to this day, right now, I think they're pumping out 400,000 plus barrels annually a year. As they have added to their facility once again, uh, upping, you know, uh, adding more fermentation uh, tanks and things like that. Just keep building uh, as they go into. And then they they're, they were well known for their six year uh, bourbon bottle bond uh, bourbon. They stopped making that in 2019, I think it was. They stopped making that and then they went to the seven year. That's what I am drinking on. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on this, man, because like I said, It's not only just rich in history, uh, what they had to go through, uh, how they got started, you know, just retail people got started and wanting to start up a distillery, being the startup money for it, ended up purchasing the entire thing and then going head into something they had no idea about, which was impressive. But they were smart enough to bring in the Bean family, so that says a lot for them, you know. to be that smart to say, Hey, we're going to bring in who we know knows about bourbon, who knows best about bourbon than the beam family. Uh, so that was really smart on them. Now I'm going to give you my thoughts and my, uh, my ratings for this bourbon, man. Uh, this bourbon is not only rich in history, but it's, but it's also rich in taste as well. It's everything you would want in a bourbon. Uh, I enjoy, it's everything I enjoy in a bourbon, The oak and the spice immediately burst on contact. Balanced with a little butterscotch that you can taste in the back, you know, as as the last little hint that you get. The flavors are put together just right. I give Heaven Hill 100 on my score of must-try bourbons. The buzz is just right. Over ice and sipping is how I prefer to do it, and this bourbon is perfect for it. Here you go, guys. Taking a little sip of it right now as we speak. Just amazing tasting bourbon, guys. Hats off to Heaven Hill on this one. All right. Now that we got that into the books, let's break down the big fight. Like I said, we watched Jason Maloney take out Sanchez early, which was a great 12-round fight. with Maloney retaining his title at the banner weight and uh, getting the win in that in a unanimous decision. 116, 114, 116, 114, if I'm correct, and 114, 114. Was one of the cards on that, but hey, that was a great fight to start the night with. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching Christian McBill and uh, Murdoch, and this is right now a great fight. These guys are banging it out. Uh, I kind of favor Kristen McBill in this one. It's a guy we've been seeing the last year making his way up. But Murdoch is a great fighter who every time he's faced adversity, he's come back pretty strong. Uh, when he lost his very first fight in his career, he's only lost two times, 27-2. When he lost his first fight, he went on a 20-win fight streak. Then recently lost uh, not, not long ago, like in 2021, something like that. Since then, he's been on another, you know, 6-7 fight win streak. Uh so he's a tough fighter, and you can tell that in the ring right now against uh Kristen McBill, who is another tough guy who I favor in this fight. We'll see how it turns out. Like I said, watching this live with you right now, guys. Uh but the fight that we're that's going to be the headliner of this fight. Now I originally thought that Jason Maloney uh versus Sanchez fight was the co main event, but I was wrong in that, thinking that it was a title fight being the co main event. It was presented on paper as the co-main event, but it turns out the McBill, Christian McBill fight in Murdoch is the co-main event on that fight, so I was wrong about that. Correct myself if you watch my show Friday on YouTube, correct myself on that one, uh, but like I said, this main event is Arthur Betterbeve versus Colin Smith. It's going to be a great light heavyweight title fight for the WBC, WBO, and IBF titles. Now there's a lot of implications on the line for this fight. Uh <clears throat> I would say more for Arthur Betterbeev than Column Smith. Uh for the fact that if and you know, Smith is taking slight to the fact that people are already looking at the Arthur uh Bettebeve fight versus Baval. Uh they're looking at that fight. Everybody's talking about that matchup. So he's taking slight to it. He he's hearing everybody overlooking him. Uh, He doesn't like that. He's only lost once in his career. uh, And that was to the infamous, you know, uh, Canelo Alvarez, who beat him in a unanimous decision. And uh, I don't know. After watching that fight against him, that's pretty much I don't I don't think he's really been tested, tested uh, against anybody but Canelo. And then Canelo was not even in his weight class. So that was hard to say he was tested. He hasn't been tested in his weight class Better Beeb is definitely going to be the uh, test for him because he's an attacker. He's an aggressive guy. He goes to the body. He goes to the head. He hits really, really hard. Now, he is 38 years old, guys. I know his record doesn't wouldn't say that 19 pro fights you're thinking 19 pro fights how's this guy 38 years old when did they start well supposedly he's had like 300 professional fights guys so he's got a or 300 amateur fights so he's got a ton of an experience in the amateurs uh, a lot of wear and tear on him but he just shows in the pro level he is a knockout machine he has power and when he starts to attack once he smells blood he really ends that fight and uh, he knows how to end it very well uh, very uh strategic. But Colin Smith thinks that hey, I've seen him. I've watched him fight, and he seems to think that he has something to offer to Better Beave, and that some in a way to be able to beat him. <clears throat> we'll see how that goes for him tonight. How that plans out for him, I think. For him, he needs to stay on the outside, stick to the jab, make uh keep the distance between him and Better Beav. Don't allow him to come in and land those heavy body shots that he likes to land, and those. Uh, short hooks that he likes to throw on you. You got to eliminate those on him. And if you allow him to get you up against the ropes, get you in the corner, it's going to be a long night for Colum Smith. If that happens, I see him getting knocked out early, but what I think is going to happen is I think better be going to do what he does. He's going to attack. Uh, he's going to corner Colum Smith. He's going to beat on the body, the head. He's going to wear him down and then take him out in the later rounds, around the sixth, seventh, eighth round. I think he ends up taking Colum Smith out after he wears him down a little bit. And Colum's never been knocked out, guys. So if Better Beav does that, that's something super impressive on his part. But like I said, I don't really feel like Colin Smith has been tested with a guy like Better Beav on that level. Uh, so... We'll see how that goes tonight. I think that's going to be a heck of a fight, man. There's uh, the undercard. Like I said, we watched Jason Maloney. Most of that undercard is, is over with. I am, like I said, watching it live with you now as Christian McBill is having a banger of a fight against Murdoch. And uh, this is a heck of a fight. These guys are just staying toe-to-toe with each other, Uh, both staying inside. Nobody's keeping their distance, and these guys are just banging out. I think that favors Christian McBill in the long run right now. It looks like he is starting to... Put a little bit of damage on Murdoch as he keeps him up against the ropes. And uh, I'm telling you, this is a good fight, but I don't think it's in Murdoch's favor to continue to fight this way. It's not going to favor him. Uh, so let's uh, that, that's the undercard. And let's look at the, uh, like I said, the fight info. The main card was supposed to start at 10 p.m. As you can clearly see, that's not going to happen. It's probably going to be more about 11.30 start time. It is up in Canada, Quebec City. Uh, at a Videotron arena up there in Quebec city, Canada. Uh, that's why I call this episode the battle of the great white North. Hey, Jeffrey, you've got a text message. As you can see, Jeffrey has a text message. That is my name, Jeffrey. Did I mention that in the beginning? Host, my name is Jeff. Who knows? I probably didn't. I just kind of jumped right into this guys. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I did a little bit of shrooms, uh, you know, micro dosing. So I'm relaxed, kind of sitting back, chilling, thought, hey, I'll jump on here. I found this little tool on my podcast. And I thought, hey, what's this button? What do you know right now? I'm recording with you guys. But hey, man, we got some boxing news. Now, what I want to get into that I missed on my uh, show on YouTube, and I'm highly disappointed in myself that I overlooked this, but the controversy in the Ortiz verse Lawson fight last week seems to have a lot more to it than what we could ever imagine. We question why Tony Weeks stopped the fight the way he did as fast as he did when it looked like Lawson was protecting himself and just weathering the storm. <clears throat> Turns out, according to what Tony Weeks has released, he's now erased this message, but he said in a message on Facebook or Twitter, I'm not for sure where it was at, hey, yeah. And uh, he, I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm on my phone and I didn't think to, you know, turn that part down. But anyways, like I said, uh, Tony Weeks released a statement stating that Lawson had a uh, head damage, if I'm correct, some kind of uh, swelling on the swelling on the brain, something like that, that he had wrong with him. And that he shouldn't have been fighting anyways. So the minute he was able to stop the fight, he did. He was calling out the Nevada Commission saying, hey, Golden Boy knew this. Uh, Nevada Commission knew this. Now, as a ref, you don't receive that type of information. So how he received that or got that information, he is a longtime ref, so he probably has his ties. Uh, He's been in the industry for a long time, so he probably knows people who are able to give him that information. And maybe somebody pulled him to the side and said, look, man, you need to stop this fight before it even starts. Uh, And then told him the situation with Lawson. Frederick Lawson supposedly had some kind of head swelling, brain swelling, something going on. And he shouldn't have been even fighting that fight. So Tony Weeks may have saved his life. We don't know how true this is, guys, but if it's even remotely true, you have to investigate this, man. You definitely have to look into it, and people have to answer for something like this because you could have put a guy's life on the line. You could have put Virgil Ortiz in a situation where he ended up killing or hurting a guy to the point of ending his career. That can mentally really lay on a guy, knowing you're responsible for something like that. And I don't know how much his team knew about, Frederick Lawson's injury, or how much this is true, guys. This is just what Tony Weeks had said. Now I don't know, in the sport of boxing, they like to sweep this type of stuff under the rug. But I'm telling you now, guys, this needs to stay mainstream, and it needs to stay talked about, and it needs to be investigated. If if you're if in my opinion, because this is something major, man, you can't have this type of shit, and this is what gives boxing that ba- that black eye, that bad name. You can't have this, man. And if this guy really was in that ring with some kind of head trauma, and he shouldn't have been, and Tony Weeks possibly saved his life, uh, hats off to Tony Weeks. And sorry about the bullshit I gave you on my episode questioning you about your couple stoppages. But I also said I don't know how true this is from Tony. The referees aren't really given this knowledge of any kind of... Uh, injury to the fighters are not given doctors stuff, and, and, and you know it's hard to release doc, doc uh, you know medical information when you're not supposed to. Also, but this is going to bring a lot along. Tony Weeks is probably going to be blackballed from this from refing We probably won't see him for a while. Uh, but I think if it's even remotely true, man, it's got to be investigated. Golden Boy has to answer. Nevada State Commission has to answer. Uh, and this is the type of shit that has to stop happening in boxing. Uh, we're in the year 2024 guys for this sport to continue to work like it's the wild wild west or be ran like it's the wild wild west it's just ridiculous at this point man it's like if you would let a bunch of mobsters run the city of new york are you going to do that no you guys put a stop to that correct even if they do it legally now but they still had to go to right wild the correct route but things had to has to have to change in boxing Uh, As far as getting some kind of one commission, uh, one sanctioning board, you know, to set down and make sure the sport is done correctly, guys. Uh, And I think hearing something like this with Tony Weeks involved and him saying, hey, you know, this kid had brain trauma. He shouldn't have been in the ring. And he probably saved his life. If this is true, come on, guys, we got to investigate it and take it serious. And we can't sweep it under the rug and forget about it and move on to the next fight. And pretend this didn't happen, man. This has to be talked about until it's investigated, until something's done. Uh Because if not, then they'll just sweep it under the rug, man. That's a fact. But let's get to some other news, man. Of course, Inouye has been uh, signed on to fight Neri in a fight announced for May. I think that's a stay-busy fight for Inouye. Uh I think Neri is a more of a brawler-type fighter. He's going to play right into Inouye's hands and he's going to get knocked out early in that fight, I believe. Uh, But also Spence had eye surgery, which is now going to delay that fight, uh, if not absolutely kill the rematch that was supposed to happen against Crawford because now he's had eye surgery. And he's also claiming that uh, his eye was bad before the fight and that uh, he had hurt ribs also. So, I mean, some excuses coming now. Crawford told you that was going to happen. Crawford told you the excuses were going to come immediately after he beat Spence. Uh, He told us that. So, you know, maybe he's right. <clears throat> now, I think this fight is completely over with now. Now it's time for Crawford to move on. I think he, you know, he hasn't broke this contract. Spence is clearly the one that is delaying the fight from happening. Uh, and now with this surgery, who knows when he's going to recover, probably not till the summertime. And nobody wants to wait that long to see that second fight. And i um, if you're Crawford, you're at an age now to where you have to stay busy. Uh, you have to continue to build your legacy and there's too many good fights out there for him, uh, to just sit here and wait for the Spence fight. Now watching and McBill right now, he is putting a beating on Murdoch, man. He's just Murdoch's just laying on the, looks tired, uh, wore down. He's taking heavy punches. Uh, McBill's just landing them solidly. And I don't know if Murdoch's just kind of weathering the storm, going to let him punch himself out. But these guys are fighting a hell of a fight right now, guys. This one is live. As I said, I am currently watching uh the live fights, but that is the spin situation there. I think Crawford needs to move on. Take that mandatory fight, maybe against uh, I would say Teofimo Lopez. That's who I would fight if I was him. I'd go for the Teofimo Lopez fight. Uh, you I mean you can fight your mandatory boots in us, unify the division, but we don't know how long he's going to stay in that division. Uh, guys, he's talked about moving up to one fifty four, anyways. So why why not go ahead and take one last fight against a big a big money fight against uh Teofimo Lopez, who I would favor Crawford in that fight, but would be a great fight in my opinion, a very fun fight to watch uh but also I talked about this in my last show Arthur Barbosa is talk is now talking about he wants to fight Subaru Mateus which I said that would be a great fight those two fighting each other would just be the fight of the year I think and it would line those two young guys up as the next guy cuz they're both in that conversation if you haven't watched Arthur Barbosa he's a hell of a fighter he has a great skill set his combinations his power all that it matches right up with Subaru Mateus who is a very powerful young fighter who likes to set back let guys beat on him for a first few rounds and then he just comes out with some magnificent combos and his power is unreal but at 140 those two guys are the next up so why not have them fight each other meet in the ring so that you can solidify who is next who's next is it Barbosa or is it Subaru Mateus guys uh I would say, Hey, 50, 50 on that fight. Cause they're both, they're both very similar and their style, but I would love to see that happening. Also USA boxing has announced that it's first annual national tournament will be held in Albuquerque, New Mexico guys. Uh, love to get down there and catch that, but for sure, check that out and support the USA boxing man. Some really good young fighters that did great in the tournament over the summer. Uh, Loved what uh, what I saw from them. They came away with some really good victories. Okay, also Ja Opatia Apat- uh, has been announced that he would be he will be on the Fury vs Usyk card, guys. Uh, that who who he's gonna fight, we'll see. Uh, great, I'd say he's gonna be the co main event for once. Uh, he's working his well way up to being the main event. As we saw what he did to Elizondo in their last fight. So good to see him back in the ring that soon in February. Who he's gonna fight? I'm very, really, really anxious to see who they're gonna announce for that. Let's get into next week's schedule, guys. We will have a all female battle on Saturday, man. They will have the main card all to themselves. Uh, we'll get into what the undercard is, but Natasha Jones versus Michaela Mayer, which is gonna be a hell of a fight, man. These two girls have some beef. Jones has a lot of proving to do. Michaela Mayer, we all know her name. Uh, we know Natasha Jones also. Two very, very good female fighters. If you're going to tune in and watch some women just beat each other to death, that's a good fight to check in on Saturday coming up. We'll break that down on my show Friday. Uh, and, of course, join me also on Monday for my recap for the fights that I'm watching now live. As I said, uh, pretty much that is it. That's all I got for you guys, man. Thank you for joining me for this episode of bourbon and boxing baby on my podcast edition episode 11 the battle in the great white north baby once again i'm jeff your host don't forget to like subscribe and follow me on my youtube channel uh my spotify iheart amazon radio man and also check out my facebook group bourbon and boxing baby the name says it all join me thank you guys